Uh, no, so look, uh, we're excited because today uh, we are continuing our series called Chase the Lion, okay? So if you missed last week, uh, you need to make sure you go back and check out last week because uh, we had a big announcement that we made. I'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. But also, you missed a, a really great word uh, from our next-gen leader, Ms. Chanel Singh. And, uh, and so it really, this whole series has got this concept, right, that God has given each of us uh, this lion-sized dream in our heart. And, uh, and, and so the question is, is, is how do we chase it? How do we go after it? You know, and, and today I, I want to introduce you to a couple people. We'll talk about some stories. Uh, don't forget, uh, I encourage you, especially if you're in a small group that we're talking about this, take notes uh, today so that you can take it to your small group. And if you need that, uh, you can also check out the uh, Bible app under the events tab. You'll find all the scriptures preloaded. You can even save it and take notes so you can have that for later on. But, but here's what we know. Uh, you might not have ever heard of a guy. Uh, by the name of Paul Tudor Jones. By the way, if you're wondering, just because he has the last name, no, we're not related, okay? Uh, I wish I was related, because I'll tell you why. Uh, he, Paul Tudor Jones is actually the founder of the tu Tudor Investment Corporation. And uh, one of the things that really happened that, that he made a name for himself was way back, some of you remember this day, maybe, if you're old enough, uh, way back on October 19th, 1987, a day happened which was really catastrophic for a lot of people. It was a day where the stock market had one of the largest single-day percentage drops in its history. Uh, but, but Paul Tudor Jones made a name for himself because in that single day where people lost a lot, he actually was able to have the wisdom and foresight to see some of the things that were happening and was able to triple his investment. Now, you're probably saying, okay, well, that's cool for him. What does that have anything to do with anything else? Well, one of the things I thought was pretty interesting about uh, Paul Jones was that in 86, 1986, uh, this is actually before, uh, before this happened, but 1986, he actually took a New York City school that was underachieving. He took a sixth grade class, and he did something that I would consider pretty ambitious. He promised them 100% college sponsorships for anyone who graduated high school. Now, how many of you know, well, you wish Paul was around when you graduated high school, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to say, I know uh, that would have been cool. But one of the things that happened is that out of that class that he, he guaranteed scholarships for, guess what? Only one-third of the class actually graduated high school. And so out of one-third of those that actually graduated high school, one of the things that Paul realized is that he kind of, uh, he underestimated and he didn't quite fully understand the environmental challenges for students growing up in the inner city in poverty and, and just like the things that they had to combat and the things they had to kind of go against. And, and so one of the, he decided to do is after he had this big day, he decided to uh, create the Robin Hood Foundation. And out of the Robin Hood Foundation so far, he's had $1.45 billion that he's given away to causes he's cared about. $1.45 billion. Now as much as that sounds really great and really cool, the question that we often never ask when we hear stories like this, the question that we often, like, when we hear about it, and we're like, oh, that must have been great. I bet you he always had it good. But how is it, though, that he, like, had this, like, heart and this mindset to, you know, to make a difference in the world that he lived in? Well, if you would hear it from Paul one day uh, when he was four years old, he actually got lost from his mother when he was out, they were out and about, and I, now, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity either as a parent or as a child to be lost. 
Uh, thankfully, I don't think I ever lost any of my children anywhere where it was unintentional. Okay, I did one time leave them at church, but that doesn't count. That's the house of the Lord. Okay, they're all good. All right, my wife says it counts. But here's what happened. He was four years old and got lost, and it kind of got steered into his mind that in the midst of everything else, that there was an elderly man who took the time to sit with him, to, to work with him, to connect him, and spent all this time to actually get him back to his mother and help him. And how many of you know that that's the type of moment that it talks about in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 8, where it talks about in one encounter? Because I don't know if you realize this, but sometimes all it takes is one encounter, and it makes a huge monumental difference, both in your life and in the life of someone else. That's all it actually takes. And so Chanel last week actually introduced us to uh, a gentleman here out of Second, uh, out of Second Samuel, uh, a man named Benaiah. And for him, if you don't know, I'm not going to go a lot into his story because we're going to have some more of that in the coming weeks. But Benaiah actually decided to chase a lion into a pit. And he actually just did this on a snowy day when it was cold, when he could have done everything else. And, and, and I don't know if you are like me, but we realize, that our, we, we realize that our lives, we know we have challenges and we have conflicts, don't we? You ever had a challenge? Anybody ever had a challenge in your life? Okay, the rest of you are lying. Anybody had a conflict? Some of you are like, yeah, my conflict is sitting next to me, right? All right? But here's what we know, all right? Here's what we know. Challenge and conflicts happen, and the problem is, is in the midst of the conflict and in the midst of the challenge, we often are not very grateful for any of it, are we? But the fact of the matter is, is we actually should be because if you're like me, you know that if there is no conflict, if there is no challenge, you know what else there is? There's no storyline. I want you to think about this. Think of whatever it is that is your favorite movie of all time, and it doesn't matter what it is, guess what it has? It's going to have a great conflict. It's going to have a great challenge where there's going to be a character or a group of people that are going to have to overcome something, and that is, in fact, what makes it a great movie. It doesn't matter if you're Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings, right? It doesn't matter if you are Batman, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I know, sorry, that was a bad Batman voice, okay? <laughs> It doesn't matter, though, if you're him. It doesn't make a difference if you're John Wick. By the way, if you don't know, don't mess with his dog, okay? And you can, he's, he's all good, right? It, it doesn't matter whether it's Forrest Gump or we can look at all the way down to Wiley E. Coyote. Guess what? You look at Wiley E. Coyote, guess what my man has? He's got conflicts and he's got challenges, and he can never seem to get over them, right? But that's, that's where this story lies in. And so for us, if I was going to give this to you today and try to, uh, you know, become in the most simplest version, here's what I would tell you. I would tell you that there are two types of conflict in your life that we run into, all right? The first one is this. The first one is things that happen to you that you can't control. These are ones that just you are outside of anything that you can do, okay? But the second one is this, is things that happen to you that you can control. Just because you can control them, by the way, doesn't mean that you're responsible for them, but here's what we realize is that you actually, have, you can be response-able. In other words, you have the opportunity to have a response to whatever it is that, that this conflict, this issue that you're facing. And so we know that in our lives, we have some of what Mark Batterson would call in his book inciting instances, right? There's positive inciting instances. In, 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 in a positive way, 
you know, how many of you know you get a college scholarship that pays for everything? That's a great thing. It's a life-changing thing. How many of you know, how many of you ever got maybe a, a bonus or job promotion where all of a sudden you got bumped up and you got the pay increase and your retirement bumped up and you got influence over other people and you're like, yeah, this is good. How many of you have ever had the inciting instances, guys, come on, this is a great opportunity for you to get excited, where you met that girl, that changed your life, right? Woo, come on, come on, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, y'all missed it. You missed it. That was weak. That was bad. I gave you opportunity for a bonus. I served it up on the tee right there, and you left it out there. But how about this? We also know that there's some negative things, some negative incidences, inciting incidents that happen in our lives. Maybe you get fired from a job that you love. Maybe you go to the doctor and you get a bad diagnosis. Maybe you take a major financial hit that it takes you years and years to overcome. And, and here's what I also know, though, is that sometimes we get the good and we get the bad, and we get so devastated by the bad, they only realize years later that some of those negative things, the negative instances that happened to us, actually, it's so great that they happened. It didn't feel great at the time. But it actually, you look back and you were like, wow, the, even though there was a negative outcome, the, the, there was something positive that came through this. The, you know, for me, early on, I was working in landscaping. I remember I had just signed the mortgage to my house, and then guess what happened to me? I got laid off. And I'm just like, the bank is going to expect a payment, y'all. Like, they, they want that. Like, they literally, they, they're like, the ink is barely dry on the page. And they're like, come on. But one of the things that's incredible for me is it opened the door for me to get into construction and opened up a whole other career path for me and opportunities for me that came well beyond that that we're still in my family, still being able to reap the benefits of. See, here's what we know is that when you look at this, it looks like sometimes the success of others is, is, is just that. It's always up and to the right. And sometimes it feels like the losses that we experience are just, you know, the tremendous things that could lead us down dark roads. But the problem is, I love how Mark Batterson in the book writes it. He's a pastor, author. He says that mismanaged success can actually be a leading cause of failure. Because how many of us have ever seen somebody who succeeded in one area of life, but then the next thing you know, they don't, they don't manage it well. And because they don't manage it well, they go down a, a, a road that they would have never entailed. How about this? You ever heard the story about the people who win the lottery? It seems like success, right? Until about three years later when they have to declare bankruptcy after gaining millions of dollars. Because guess what? It was mismanaged success. But also at the same time, if you realize this, is that well-managed failure can actually be one of the leading causes of success. Is that we, if we actually take the fact that, you know, when we fail and we realize we learn from that, we fail well, we can actually use that. Now, obviously, this all depends on us relying on God. And here's what we know. We know Psalm 127 tells it like this, that unless the Lord builds the house, guess what? The builders do what? They labor in vain, okay? It says, unless the Lord watches over the cities, then the guards stand watch in vain. In other words, we got to make sure that we have God with us because if not, you can do a lot of labor that's for a lot of absolutely nothing. And so here's the question I have is what is it when we're talking about this chase your dream mentality here? What is it in your life that you need to do to make your dream come true? What do you have to do? 
What is it that next step that actually needs to, to take you? How is it that you need to define the failures of your life on what everybody else would call your failures that was no good, that no good came out of, that you need to say, oh, no, no, no. It, it, from the outside, it might look like there was no good to this. But on the inside, guess what? I know God is doing a work inside of me. He's laying the foundations for a few things. Now, it might not have looked the way I wanted it to, but it's certainly the way he's, he's leading me my steps. See, for some of us, that first step's, you know, it might be, might be just taking that bold leap of faith, that scary, you know, that scary moment where you're just like, boy, this is the point of no return. I don't know if I can do this. But it also causes us sometimes to burn some bridges behind us for us to say, guess what? We are pressing on and we're not looking back. We're not going back to what was behind us. Because what we have to realize is the inciting incidences in our lives, they come in lots of shapes, lots of sizes. They come in lots of colors. But here's what I know. I know that you and I, we tend to underestimate the small things. And the fact is, is we should not underestimate the small acts of kindness, the small little things that God leads us in of our kindness, our courage, or our generosity that he actually leads us into. Because you never know with the small acts of kindness will actually have monumental payoffs. I want to take to you, I want to take you today in the scripture we're going to take a quick look at a story in the Old Testament, okay? This story in the Old Testament, maybe if you were in Sunday school growing up or you went to VBS, you maybe remember singing about this because there was a battle that happens that we're going to talk about in the Old Testament. And this is in Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Y'all remember that? Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Yeah, uh, and, the, and the what? And the, walls, and the walls come tumbling. Okay, a couple of you got it. All right, so the walls come tumbling down. Now here's what we realize is that if you're reading this story, okay, this is a turning point in Israel's history. This is when the wandering tribal nation of Israel is trying to come into the promised land that God has delivered them. Remember, Moses is gone. Joshua's at the helm now and, and is kind of lit, let out. Now here's what we know. They've had a few battles and a few victories, but here's what they're coming into. They're coming into some serious land where some serious obstacles are in their face in, in, in arising. And the first one is this story where they get to the city of Jericho, which is a massive fortified city. Now, Israel did what any good army would have done. You know what they did? They needed to go and gather some information. So you know what happened with Israel? They sent some spies into Jericho to see what was happening. In other words, they got to go research this a little bit. Like, Because I don't know if you've ever had a big dream in your life, and maybe you're like, you know what, let's not just go willy-nilly into this. Let's like actually take some time. Let's do some research, dive in, and find out what we need to go and what we need to do. So this is what Joshua has some spies go in. But what you don't realize, what we never talk about, because we always talk about the walls come tumbling down in Jericho. But we don't talk about how the whole thing almost got quashed right before it ever actually got started. Because what we don't talk about is we don't talk about how the spies that went into Jericho were almost found out, almost caught. We don't talk about how all of a sudden, you know, the city of Jericho like had these rumbles and murmurs of, of these people that were foreign that were in the city. And that they started hunting for them. And what happens to them? If you actually look at this. They actually encounter someone. They encounter a prostitute named Rahab. And this prostitute named Rahab, she not only saved their life, but she changed the course of Israel's history for forever. And it all happened. Why? Because she was bold, she was courageous, and she was willing to show one simple act of kindness. And that was to hide them. 
Now, for us, we're like, okay, what's the big deal? She hit some people. No, no, you don't understand. If Rahab is found out, remember, what is this? This is treason. This is treason if she's found out. If she's found out, this doesn't mean that Rahab just dies. This means that everybody that Rahab cares about dies. Like everybody, her whole family is gone if she's not so bold to take this out. And what I love is that Rahab, she's, she doesn't really know. She knows there's, there's something on the other side of this. And I love what she says to these guys that come into the city there. In Joshua chapter 2, in verse 12, here's what she says. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. She says, listen, I need, I'm showing you kindness. Will you be willing to show me kindness? Because I have shown you the same kind of kindness. She says, give me a sure sign. In verse 13, it says that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. One of the things I love is is she was willing to recognize that she sowed something in, that she sowed some kindness in here, and she was hoping to receive some kindness back out of this. And of course, if you maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but it, the incredible thing is, is that after this incredible victory, that is a turning point in, in, in the nations uh, of Israel, of the of their story, right? Out of all this happens, right, that Rahab ends up marrying a Jewish man, and she happens to have a son named Boaz, who has a son named Obed, who happens to have a son named Jesse, who happens to have a son named David, who becomes the king of Israel. How incredible is it that this person that you could show kindness to could one day turn out to be a king, could turn out to be a queen? How about that one person that she shows kindness to could one, out, one day turn out to be a billionaire that ends up giving billions of dollars away to change the lives of other people? But here's the thing. How do we know? How do we know that? How do we go? Well, can I tell you a story? This is a story, uh, I know if you've been around a while, you've probably heard a lot of my stories. I don't think you've heard this one before. Uh, so here's, a, here's one, is that uh, the church that I grew up in, okay, uh, the church that I grew up in spent most of my life, in fact, Pastor Kim's here, he pastored it, he was my pastor for years, and, and growing up in this church, my, my grandfather had pastored this church, my mom worked for this church, so our family, we had some family history in it. But it turns out that I ended up marrying into somebody who also has some family history in it. Because what you might not know is is that my wife, Amy, that her great-grandmother was actually one of the founding members of that church. And and the incredible thing with this is is that, you know, the seeds that her great-grandmother planted in that church led to a thriving church that would one day allow her her, granddaughter, her great-granddaughter to find someone, to marry someone, and not just marry someone, but to go out and to plant another life-giving church beyond the life-giving church that she helped plant. How incredible is that? How incredible is it that, that you have the opportunity to sow into a place? So by the way, if you didn't know the big announcement last week, we're, we're buying this building and one of the incredible things about buying this building is, is when we sow into that heart for the house offering, I need somebody, some people to grab a hold of the fact that you could actually be sowing into not just the future that's cool for you today, but you could actually be sowing into your great-grandchild who's going to find somebody who's going to become the spouse of someone who's going to go out and plant another life-giving church somewhere else in this world. How incredible is that, right? 
Now, if that doesn't make us want to take an offering right now, but we're not. But that's what I need us to understand. It's world changing. It's how the world works. Because here's the problem is, is we, want, we want action right now. We want it to happen today. Like, Lord, I went to church today. I gave today. Can you send me a check tomorrow? But that's not how it always works. Because the problem is, is that the seeds that you and I plant, they might not germinate for months. They might not germinate for years or even decades. But here's what I know. I know that if we are faithful to plant and to water, then guess what happens? Something incredible. The incredible thing is, is that when we plant, we water, God actually says that we will see the increase. In fact, it's a guaranteed. It's, it's considered the law of sowing and reaping. He says, listen, whatever you sow, I need you to understand that's what you're going to reap. It might not be immediate, but it's going to come. Galatians actually says it like this, Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. It says that whoever sows to please their flesh, in other words, just go out and live your best you. You do you, boo. Like, come on, go have fun. Right? That they're actually, that the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows uh, to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, they're actually going to reap eternal life. And then it says in verse 9, to let us not become weary in doing good. Isn't it ironic that those two things are tied together? No, it's not. There's purpose to it. Let us not become weary in doing good for because at the proper time, guess what's going to happen? We're going to reap a harvest. But you're only going to get there if you do what? You don't give up. Come on. Like, you've got to push through. We've got to see this thing through to the other side. So I don't know if you realize this, but the God-sized dream that God has maybe laid on your heart, or if you don't know what that is, the God-sized dream that he can and will lay on your heart is one of those things that might seem crazy and impossible. And I know that crazy and impossible doesn't seem like a really good thing, but I promise you, it is. You know why crazy and impossible seems like, a, you know, it, it's actually a good thing when it sounds so off the wall and so crazy that it could never possibly happen? You know what that's probably an indication? It's an indication that God is in the midst of it. Because here's what I can promise you. I can promise you that all the big successes of my life never seemed safe, comfortable, or made any good common sense at all. And I can almost guarantee you in your life it's the same exact way. That when you look, if you take a second to some self-inflection, you know why? Because God, he loves impossible odds. He loves them. He loves them. He, you know, like, I, I don't, listen, I, the, the whole sports gambling thing really confuses me. I don't understand over and under odds and the, the bets and all that stuff. I don't get it. It's a whole bunch of numbers to me. But here's what I know. I know that God loves the odds that are like the, the, the million to one shot. He loves them because he's like, oh, no, this is where I do my best work. He says, because this is where I'm going to show up. Because I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible is literally full of impossible odd stories. That's literally all it is. And so the question I have for you today is this. Is when was the last time that you actually attempted something that was destined to fail without divine intervention? When was the last time? Now, I know you're probably like, Pastor Curtis, why are you going to ask me that question? Well, simply this. I think we have to understand that if we constantly live from a moment, from a status of safety, it's going to be really hard for us to see the divine intervention of God. 
If you constantly sit back and you're just like, well, that just feels too risky for me right now. No, no. The question is, is did God tell you to do it and did he tell you to chase after it? Because guess what? It's in those moments is where that's where he shows up. It's where it's what happens. But the, if not, here's what happens to us. If not, we tend to die. But not the kind of death like where we put in a coffin. We just we stop living. We just die. We just kind of like just go on. Like you might still have breath in your lungs, but you're just like you're just existing to exist. Because the fact of the matter is, is, is really death comes for us when we simply stop dreaming. When we simply stop pushing and chasing after the things. Here's what I know I need in my life, and I hope that you need this in yours. I hope that you have a life goal. Something to keep you going, something to keep you pressing on. I hope that you have just this noble cause that keeps you committed and locked in and really like pressing after and seeking after him. And I hope and pray that you have a God-sized dream and that God-sized dream can help from keeping you from being demotivated. By the way, I had somebody check me if demotivated was a word because somebody thought my Sussex County was coming out. Guess what, Tracy? It is a word. It's a real word. It is. I probably thought I made it up, but I didn't. (laughs) We need a God-sized dream to keep us from getting demotivated. Can I tell you a a story? Here's a story. There was a young man in eighth grade. This young man's name was Billy Hornsby, and maybe you've heard of this guy. Maybe you haven't, but it's okay. This young man who's in eighth grade decides that he is called upon to come answer a question for a math class that he's in school. And as Billy is coming up to the, 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 the chalkboard, because this is back in the day before we had a whiteboard, we actually had chalkboards. Anybody remember? Shout out to those of you old enough, right? But he was coming up, and, and here's one of the things that happened. was uh, Billy's actually pretty smart, and he had already solved the problem in his head before he got up there. And so when he gets to the blackboard, he just writes the answer. His teacher looks at him, and he says, well, that's wrong. And, of course, Billy says, no, it's not wrong. It's right. He's like, no, it's wrong because what does every teacher tell you? Come on, teachers. You got to do what? You got to show your work. I hated showing my work, TJ. I hated it. If I know the answer, I, that should be good enough. But he, he didn't show his work. And, and, and he gets upset, Billy does, and he kind of gets into an argument with the teacher. And, and the teacher just kind of, in frustration, kind of says something to him. He just says, you know, Hornsby, you're never going to amount to anything in this frustration. And so Billy, of course, he goes back to his seat. And he's all mad. He's disruptive. And he's just, just kind of distraught. And can I tell you what happened to him after that day? He actually just checked out of school. He went because he had to go. But he never, like, really was trying to imply. And and so what ends up happening to him is he finishes eighth grade, goes on, but he never actually finishes high school. He goes on, and as he never finishes high school, by the time he's 20, he's 20 years old, he has three kids, and he happens to hear about a position at a company. It's a little company you might have heard called Exxon. So he applies, and he's basically applying to Exxon for an entry-level position. And as he does, they have, like many companies do, they have an entrance exam that you had to take. And as he does this entrance exam, he comes out of it, you know, kind of already feeling discouraged. Like, I already know I didn't 
do well. So as he's actually turning the test in, he's like, listen, don't, don't bother calling me. Like, I know I didn't do really good on this exam. It's not a big deal, you know. And so he just felt disappointed as he left. Well, he had actually ended up getting a phone call a couple days later, and they wanted to come have a meeting with him in the office. And he's like, listen, don't make me come all the way to the office to tell me how bad I did. Like, I know. Like, and they, they just pleaded with him. Like, no, listen, if you'll just come in and actually meet with the, with the gentleman to, to review this, and one of the things that he actually does is as he goes into the office, he, you know, he kind of comes in already defeated, but as he sits down and wants to kind of already be in this defensive position as he sits down with this employ- possible employer, he, he says, listen, if, you know, you don't understand, Mr. Hornsby, uh, that you actually did really well. He says, in fact, he says, you have the highest score that we've ever seen on this test. And the guy that is from Exxon looking to hire him. He says, you know, Hornsby, if you're not careful, if you try a little bit, you'll actually amount to something. You'll actually, your life will actually come out to something. And so one of the incredible things that happens is Billy Hornsby actually gives his heart to Jesus. As he's working at Exxon and he's doing great things, making lots of money, and, and it looks successful on the outside and decides actually to leave his career at Exxon to go plant churches. He does it. He leaves, leaves his career to go plant churches in Europe and across the United States. He's actually one of the founders of an organization called ARC that helped plant us along with more than 1,067 other churches all across the, the country. And how incredible is it that our story is tied in to a man who was once told that he'll never amount to anything until somebody had to come along and say, you know what, you actually could turn out to do something if you actually applied your life to it. And, and, and that just that simple statement, that simple act actually helped him to change and turn his life around. Miss Priscilla, if you would, would you come up here with me? Can I tell you, church, God, God loves impossible odds. He loves them. And, and can I tell you that and I, I've been really kind of debating. I've told a handful of people this, but I've never really, like, made, st- you know, the, a big statement on Sunday morning about, like, the vision to discover. Because we know, if you've been here long enough, we want everybody to discover church, to know God, to find freedom, to discover their purpose and make a difference, right? But really, our, our vision, our long-term vision goes well beyond that. In fact, one of the things I see, and I, I've kind of shared with our board, and, and they, they get excited about it, and they want to hear more about it, is this, is that I, I've never had the heart as a pastor, as a lead pastor, to try to go out and build some 5,000-seat auditorium somewhere. Now, by the way, that's not a knock for churches to do. That's just not my heart. Because the problem is, is I recognize, and we even experience it here with two services, is that uh, what are we supposed to do as the church? As a church, we're supposed to have relationships and communities with one another. And I recognize that in, the, in, a, in a church setting, it's sometimes it gets really hard to do the bigger we grow. So for me, realize, you might not know this, but Discover Church on a weekly basis now is eclipsing 200 people in attendance on a weekly ba- basis. Of course, you only see half of them if you ever come to one service, which is why sometimes I know there's some people that stay around for two just because I just got to see who's here. <laughs> But here's what I recognize. I recognize that there's no point in us just having a sense to grow big to grow big. 
Because if we don't have a sense of the relational atmosphere of which God has helped develop and cultivate here inside of our church, what have we got? We just got a lot of people that happen to come together for an hour a week. See, what I really see as the long-term vision of Discover Church is for us to be able to take the model that we have at this campus here and replicate it in other places across the county, to replicate it in other places across our state and across the Delmarvin Peninsula, to actually be able to see the heart of God changed in every community. Because how many of you realize, listen, we love Georgetown. We love Millsboro. And guess what we need? We need, some, we need people, because I know some of you live there. I need people who love Bridgeville. I need people who love Seaford and who love Laurel and who love Delmar. And yes, even we'll pray for those God-blessed people that are in Maryland, right, on the Eastern Shore. And we'll love Worcester and Wicomico County. And, and, and listen, but here's, here's, here's what I know, though. I know for a fact that, guess what, God is never going to see us fulfill the longer-term vision unless we first realize the vision come to completion here in Georgetown. Which is why, by the way, we're doing the heart for the house. It's why we're buying this building. Because buying this building actually does so much more than just like saying, yeah, we bought a building. No, no, no. It's simply this. It locks in expenses. It helps us plan towards future growth. And it helps us make those really important steps of earning equity. Because if you own a home, you know equity, baby. You want that equity. Let's not just pay money to pay money. Let's pay money into something for something. Because, of course, we know that when it all comes down to it, that's just being a good steward of what God has given us. So listen, I'm telling you right now today all of these things because God has purpose. And and the reason I've been hesitant to say that out loud is because, guess what? That feels, that dream of multiple locations, of Discover Church in multiple communities, that seems impossible. But you know the incredible thing? I serve an impossible loving God. He loves when things look impossible because that's the only when he steps in and when he wants to do his best work. How do we do this? As we secure our spots here, but that's what we're talking about as the church. But the question I want to ask you today is about you and your life. Because here's the thing. I, I have some big dreams I'm chasing in my own life. Stuff that's outside of the church realm. That's stuff that, that I'm chasing for me and my family. And, and you know, we talked Wednesday night at the small group that we had that we were, we were talking about this, and there were some people that were just like, but Pastor Curtis, I don't know what that is for me. I don't know what that big heart, big chase is. What, what, I, I, how, how do I find that? Guess what we have to do? If you don't know, you got to seek after him. You got to start asking the the question like God, where where is it that you want me to make the biggest difference? Listen, for some people that's big steps. Start a company, you know, um, become uh, the, the 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 main boss or leader in the organization in which you work in and, and work on change. For some of us though, guess what? It might be simply this. It might simply be you pouring effort and energy into your grandchildren. If you don't have grandchildren, you know what it might be? It might be you taking that time and pouring it into children who need an influence, a godly woman in their life, a godly man in their life. What is that step for you, though? I want to ask if you, would you stand with me this morning?
ask you something. I need everybody to do me a favor. We're going to close our eyes in just a second. But I want everybody to participate. Okay, that's my request to you today. Participate with me in this. All right. If you would just close your eyes, bow your heads. I want to ask you a question. I want you to simply answer this to the best of your absolute ability that you can where you're standing. How many of you in this room would say that you feel like you have a sense of what that big God-sized dream is? If you have a sense of what it is, raise your hand. Okay. Now, here's what I also know. If you didn't raise your hand, I want to ask you this next question. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you are unsure of what that God-sized dream is in your life? If that's you, just raise your hand. All right. I got lots of hands. In fact, we got more hands raised for not knowing than we do that know. So here's what I want to invite you to do in just a moment. I want to invite you to do something very, you know, maybe uncomfortable to some people, but it's okay. I want you to come down to this altar when we start playing this worship song, and I want you to simply pray to the Spirit of God that today would be a day that He starts that process in your life of revealing it. When he starts to reveal it, recognize that it might change over time and it might not always look like you think it will. But guess what? You can start the journey today. But before we do, here's what I want you to do. With your eyes closed, I want you just to take a moment here to take stock of something. I want you today just to take inventory of God's faithfulness in your life. I want you to recognize that you've probably had some bumps and bruises, you've had a rough time, but I want you to recognize the faithfulness of the creator of the universe in your life today. And here's what I want you to do. I know it's scary because sometimes it's scary to ask God that you don't necessarily know what's going to happen on the other side of it. But I want you to, when you take stock of that faithfulness, when you take inventory of the faithfulness that he's had in your life, let that be out of the praise and adoration that you seek and ask for this big dream. Father God, we just thank you. Lord God, and we're praying right now that you're going to open the floodgates of heaven, Father God, and that your presence and your spirit is just going to envelop people today, your sons and your daughters. And Father God, today as we have gathered, Lord God, that you're going to help to develop, Father God, some big God-sized dreams that look like we're just chasing lines. But Lord God, it seems impossible, but we serve an impossible, loving God. Lord God, that you love it because we know that only in those impossible moments, Father God, is where you get the praise and the glory and the adoration, Father. So today... Lord God, as we enter in this time of praise, Lord God, we're praying, Father God, that as people come up front, because they raised their hand, they said, I'm not sure, Lord God, that we can press in as a church body together, that we can realize that you are here to move this morning, Father. Lord, we thank you.